Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to a special crossover episode of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Castle in the Sky with special guest Jeff Thu from Mother's Basement, where we learn all about Elon Musk, but he plays too many card games, the Galarian version of Pete, and how it's castles in the sky all the way down. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know I usually do something about the very last one here, but can we talk about how Elon Musk could play too many card games and then just basically turn the entire Earth into his own version of Yu-Gi-Oh? We're going to go into it deeper inside of this episode, you guys, but like, all about when you hear about this theory, you're just going to be like, Oh, yeah, this is going to be the next step in SpaceX. This is it, man. We're about to all be riding around on motorcycles and playing card games. I'm into it. Oh, man, I'm into it, too. All right, so we are here this week with a very special guest. If you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jeff Thu from Mother's Basement. Uh, I... Analyze anime openings, make jokes about anime. I'm, it's not entirely clear what I do on my YouTube channel, <laughs> honestly. Should probably make that simpler. Um, but yeah, I, I make video essays and, and stuff like that about anime. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if you're a longtime listener, you definitely are aware that Blake has made reference to. Uh, to Mother's Basement, and uh, what would you say, like, 80% of our videos? Are, <laughs> yeah, are, I, I probably mentioned... I probably mentioned your channel probably about half of all the episodes that we release. Well, yeah. shucks. <laughs> I watch a lot of this Mother's is, Basement. That This is a fair warning to everyone. Listen, I might be a complete wreck this episode. If you remember our Brittany Karabowski ep- episode, uh, when I could not... <laughs> Yeah, Blake talk. Blake fangirled really hard all the way through the Bar- Brittany Karabowski interview. Yeah, this might be one of Black those. Star is like possibly our favorite anime character of all time. Yeah, so this, this might be one fair. of those. So you know, sorry in advance for being a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so if if people are are checking around, like what what are uh, what are they looking for, and what what are they finding if they're looking for your stuff? Um. Oh man. Well, I mean, like I said, uh, I have diversified and confused my brand over the years uh but you might know me for my what's in an op videos where i analyze anime openings and sort of pick apart the foreshadowing and easter eggs and and uh visual storytelling in those um or you might know me from uh my public service anime videos which are sort of Mm. comedic uh explanations of how to survive or deal with various tropes in anime i should make one Mm. of those um i like to (laughs) you know i i i I mainly i just i write video essays about like the the themes and storytelling and, and stuff in anime and try to like dig into the sort of like human experience of watching it and convey that in videos i i would say from my perspective your channel it definitely it's clear early if you like go back in time to your earlier videos it's clear that you have you're trying to do something more targeted in like a specific 
niche type of video like those the what's an OLP I think was like your first big success that like made your channel a name Mm -hmm. and so I know you were like embracing that for a while now that now that you've diversified I would say like what you're gonna find on your channel is more of a a um a voice like you have a you have a pretty consistent uh voice in your work that is that ties it together even if the sort of like um subject of the different videos is different because I, I know for me one of the things i enjoy is like you do a seasonal anime breakdown mm-hmm. um, which i've been thinking about a lot because spencer and i have started doing monday shows where we we cover that anime and i'm like okay i'm hoping that this content is helpful in the way that i have found that content from you helpful but also like a video that i've talked to spencer about a few times is like your your what was it like the economics of Yu-Gi-Oh or something Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The absurd world building of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, and that was like (laughs) sort of Everything everything in the world is about a card game. (laughs) Yeah, that was a sort of a retrospective on Yu-Gi-Oh, but couched in this like comedic look that is both a joke and also a sincere look at how absurd this is. Like, it's good. God, that video is so fucking good. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I mean it's 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 only good because the escalation of Yu-Gi-Oh is just like completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like you you go from like a little bullied kid uh, getting like um, a, a, a little bit like like PG thirteen Egyptian curse Columbiney on his <laughs> uh, uh, on all the people who make his life miserable, um, and then and then like. You know, at the periphery of that, there's just like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, but he plays way too many card games. Um, and then slowly but surely. Is that your that reference for game... Kaiba is Elon Musk, but he plays too much card games? Uh, well, yeah, uh, but he I mean, the you know, the full extent would be but he plays too much card games and actually invents his own things. But let's. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just so it like goes into this like wacky billionaire who's obsessed with a card game and then that card game starts taking over the world and then the, 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 you know, the military industrial complex is slowly supplanted by the card game industrial complex. (laughs) Uh, over the course of five years, he makes enough money to build an orbital platform so that ultimately, (laughs) uh, he can go to the Egyptian afterlife, um, And have a revenge match slash very passionate fuck fest. Are you telling us? Pharaoh. Are you telling us that we're literally like one introduction of Magic: The Gathering to Jeff Bezos from having a Yu-Gi-Oh world? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, oh man, I wish. Uh, yeah, with with the way twenty twenty oh, is going, if it I would could... be more like Jeff Bezos being exposed to like card fight Vanguard or something. Oh god! Yeah. Like, well, he'd oh, have, man, that's he'd such a have bad to game. be he'd have to be exposed to card fight Vanguard, and also the like dangerously sexy reincarnation of some ancient uh, <laughs> dynasty ruler who he becomes increasingly obsessed with over the course of a few years. Yeah, that and, makes sense. Well, he just he just did get divorced, so I mean, I'm assuming the yeah, reason yeah, he got he's, divorced he's definitely he met open. a very sexy thing. He's definitely <laughs> open to like some 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 pharaohs or some emperors. Yeah. Or I did. He's pharaoh curious. He's uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that video also includes some line that you say that ends with like the punchline of late stage capitalism, 
and I fell <laughs> out. It's it's really good. It, I like all your stuff, but God, it, that that might be my favorite one. That one's really good. I yeah, well, I, I've been thinking about doing a couple more of those, talking about um, you know, like Beyblade and stuff like that, because oh. there's quite a few. There's quite a few very, very silly worlds in children's anime that deserve that kind of exploration. Yeah. And I want to go back to, to Yu-Gi-Oh! Because, like, man, Kaiba's story only, like, takes it to a certain point. Um, <laughs> in later seasons, they're, like, crossing dimensions, man. Like, you don't, you don't even know about card games on motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the... Yeah. I need more. I need yeah. more card games on motorcycles. I'm hoping that they're wearing those like big giant arm like blades that you can like stick your cards inside of, and they ho- like holographically project a giant dragon. Uh yeah, uh yeah. They do have dual discs in five Ds. They also, um, I think that I I can't remember if they put their cards on the motorcycles, like if they have like the deck <laughs> thing in front of them. Or if I they still put them on their arms. Isn't there, like, a slot that the deck, like, ed- ejects a card when they need to draw it? And then they, hit like, I think yeah, they like hold their hand, thing. but I think they play it onto, like, the where the speedometer would be. Well, look, I know that everybody joined up because they wanted to they wanted to catch some sweet Yu-Gi-Oh goodness on this episode. But what we're actually here for today is uh is is the suggestion from our guest. Um the the guest suggestion this week for our watch uh together was Castle in the Sky and man oh man, this movie does not disappoint. This is like Studio Ghibli, classic Studio Ghibli. It has everything you could want. I think, it, I, yeah, I think it's like the the quintessential like early Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like with Nausicaa, they were still you know figuring stuff out and working with clearly a pretty limited budget and schedule because they were you know just a startup. But like having proved themselves. They got to go back in and do do all the crazy world building they want, and yeah, no, it 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 just it's it's one of my all time favorite movies. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, had... so uh, this movie this movie was created in 1986, so a year before I was born. So old. Um, now and, we all know uh, how old you are, so you can't yeah. Know that. Now you all know. <laughs> um, it had a it had a budget of only three point three million dollars, and in comparison to what it make it it made it destroyed at box office. Hmm. It made fifteen point five million in the box office. Um, it was cr- written by Hi- Hayao Miyazaki, if I can say it correctly, instead of just being an idiot. Um, and, uh, the American version at least has a crazy star-studded, like, uh, bunch of people that yeah, are in James Vanderbeek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say uh, just a few. Anna Paquin is also in it. Um, doing, doing her best uh, Mark, British Mark Hamill kills and- it. Yeah, Mark Hamill definitely kills it. But I think I think the one that was my favorite, uh, my favorite random one was finding out that Mandy Patinkin was in it, and I was like, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, (laughs) there was somebody else like Andy Dick or somebody really weird. Cloris Leachman in is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's crazy. Yeah, Andy Dick is definitely in it. Um, and there is also uh, you'll you'll recognize if you watch this movie again the uh, the cartoon voice of um, oh gosh, it's like it's like Goofy's next door neighbor. Yeah, uh, um, Pete. Pete, yeah, he's also in the movie playing basically the the white Same. human version of Pete yeah. inside of this movie. Maybe, maybe Just Japanese a human version. Old general. You know, it's anime, so he could go either way. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this, like, the setting of Castle in the Sky was, like, heavily inspired by Wales and England. So it's like... Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's 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 fair to say European it's a, in, in it's that It's Galarian case. Pete. Yeah, yeah. Galarian yeah, Pete. Galarian yeah. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it, it also, it, it did also have that sort of feel where it's just like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, um, oh gosh, uh, Mary and the Witch's Castle's version of like aggressively English. Um, but it is definitely like, like pretty, pretty aggressively British or like the Miyazaki version of Britain. Like he's like, okay, you know what I think how every Britain is going to end up is that they're going to all be like, you know what is great ships, but what would be better is if everyone had a ship in the air, let's all make airships. It would be better. And Miyazaki was just like, how great would everything would have, would have been if the Zeppelin had never happened so that people weren't afraid of just their airships bursting into flames if they took off. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean... This also shows up in the Avatar universe. They they can bend all that fire away, so they did not have a Hindenburg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I I mean the the airship designs in Castle in the Sky are like are oh, man, they're so wild. Like of course they've got like the classic blimps, but then uh, the Dola pirates they've got that um, like like their their ship is sort of like a, a big bird, um, yeah, like a cuckoo bird yeah, almost. Yeah. And and they fly on those like insect winged little glider deals. Oh, they're called um, Thopters, mm-hmm. uh, and I know this because I play a lot of Magic: The Gathering, and I was like, <laughs> Thopter tokens. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they, yeah, they got those. Uh, um, oh man. Uh, well, that's yeah, yeah, and, and Patsu's, by the way. Patsu's building his own um, his own airship. Oh, yeah. in, in like his 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 basement, um, yeah. you know he, he's his, got his his dad his had that like slash gigantic house slash aviary. Yeah, <laughs> um, his dad had that uh, that like old blimp with a canoe that had like a propeller at the front that he <laughs> that he first saw. It Lop really was just like a dad makes canoe a blimp suspended with a canoe. from some balloons, and <laughs> end of like... of. Yeah, yeah, no, it it was that was a ratchet ass airship, but you know, like, <laughs> and he was like, you know what I should do? I should fly this through a hurricane, like <laughs> very Mister Fredrickson, like big big Fredrickson energy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I but I mean, he found he found the castle in the sky. And by the way, the castle in the sky, if you watch the the op, is just one of of many airships in itself, like the height of airship technology. Oh um, yeah, man, man. The the opening, the opening. Speaking of somebody who does breakdowns of openings, what would be your takeaway of this opening? It oh, is, there's a video it about is that. Wild. I had yeah, never seen Castle in the Sky, but I had seen Mother's Basement's video about the opening of Castle in the Sky. 
Maybe I was trying to make a a segue Blake into a video that he had already created. God. I don't think so. You caught me there. I know nothing. Uh, you guys don't plan these at all before you start them. I like that. That's, no. that's how I work too. Um yeah, no, the the uh, the OP like goes into the whole history of the civilization that built Laputa, um, not in like a lot of detail, but it like sort of explores how like, uh, or it implies that humanity maybe ruined the surface a little bit with over-industrialization and then they escaped into the sky by building big cities in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. and then they did a, a war as, as, as you also do, mm-hmm. um, and then that ended up uh, uh, taking all their their castles in the sky down, um, and now the world's sort of super industrializing again, and getting lots of airships, and maybe heading toward a cycle of destruction. Miyazaki sure likes his on the nose environmentalist messages. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's not it's not to the it's it's not to the extent he he miniaturized his giant mechanized war machines from Nausicaa. Mm-hmm. Um, but dang, like he has he has one thing that he is really on about, and it's that humans are eventually going to build robots, and those robots are eventually going to have one giant laser that can shoot out of their face, <laughs> and it's going to be super dangerous. And you ju- you just better hope you can make friends with. With those robots yeah you um, gotta be friends with robots i mean as we've learned from asimov's law those are going to fail so you better become besties with them yeah. because they're they're eventually going to rewrite their programming and you know skynet i mean the the guardian robots of laputa are like i don't know they're really interesting because clearly mm-hmm. they were designed as weapons of war but like that one of the one of the themes that's like explored in in this movie that wasn't really touched on in, in Nausicaa is mm-hmm. is how like nature even sort of reclaims those and they end up you know the 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 robot on Laputa ends up becoming sort of like a a, a guardian of all the birds and the and the the uh, overgrowth. They're Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. They, Blake refers to them as Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He 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 becomes Pokemon-ish for sure. Yeah, there was yeah. that electric um, fox that I want. Gen nine confirmed. I mean, come on. In Nausicaa, the uh, the the um, I'm forgetting robots. What what they call it? Yeah, but the the great giants. Um, there there were, yeah, the giant warriors as they call them. In oh Nausicaa, yeah, 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 are just like purely beings of destruction like they're you know symbolic of the worst of humanity um Mm. whereas castle in the sky i think takes a sort of more neutral look at industrial technology as not necessarily the worst thing in the world in itself but rather like dangerous depending on how it's used like Laputa is this beautiful paradise in the sky untouched by man until Muska gets there and and screws everything up by trying to reactivate its WMDs. Um, Oh, yeah. Just don't give Mark Hamill, you know, the ability to turn into an evil prince because he's going to do it every time. Every time. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That dude's just... He's really good at playing dicks. Um, Yeah, man. uh, (laughs) 
This is the, uh, I've talked about this one, with my husband a few times. One this good is... person, and, like, oh, but, I mean, like, Luke is almost, Luke's pretty much an asshole, too, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> like, to this be is, fair. Luke's a huge asshole, Rachel yeah. McAdams, Paul, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, fuck, what's the word? The, the Rachel McAdams factor, where you have mm. Rachel McAdams playing Regina George and Mean Girls, who is just, like, queen bitch. But Rachel McAdams is apparently a lovely person. And Mark Hamill's yeah. great, but he mm-hmm. plays a mean villain. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah. drink, he drinks the hell out of some person. blue milk. <laughs> the nicer you are, the more evil you are. We cracked the code. I, yeah, man. I like every time. Every time I've watched that movie since, I'm just like, it is so upsetting to see Mark Hamill just like squirting blue milk from like a, a space cow into his mouth. <laughs> So unsettling. There's just something off-putting oh, about blue milk. Yeah, it's just it's. I'm Any, I'm assuming that that all of those all of those space things are just eating a whole bunch of Lucky Charms, so it's turning the milk blue. Any different color of milk is just unfortunate. Yeah, yeah that's but that's I guess true as well. I mean, except I would, chocolate. I would say a... Chocolate's okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but well, chocolate, I, they see, turn chocolate that color, uh, the chocolate milk is the color chocolate, or, or like, not the color chocolate, but the color brown, mm-hmm. because, like, apparently has so much, like, stuff inside of it that it's a different color until they added the brown to it, so, like, the more you wanted to not know about chocolate milk, you guys. Mm-hmm. See, I like strawberry <laughs> milk, so I'm kind of living on the fringes of this discussion. Yeah, yeah. strawberry Anyways. milk's also okay. I just feel like cool colors of milk are mm. where i start to yeah. draw the line you know like yeah, blue yeah. milk green milk just no, uh, no to that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah. green milk seems dangerous anyways back to the movie yeah. um so so all right so we're going to be introduced to our first main character um when uh the old mom pirates um which i'm assuming that the old mom pirates are like uh, the uh, Matt Groening saw this and he was just like, oh, I would like to make those, but instead make them a giant corporation and have them as old mom's robots. Um, because I love this character so much. She's just like the most aggressive old woman that is also just like, I used to be a space trucker or something <laughs> Like I, and also my kids are going to come with me and my, my husband needs to stay in his room. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she is, she is just absolutely wonderful. Um, her family's wonderful too. Like there's so many just like great throwaway lines that they have. Like when they're in that fight with the villagers, one of them's like, Hey, he talked shit about mom. Go get him. But yeah, they also oh at my some God. point they have they, a they have flex like, your shirt off contest, which was yes! real gay vibes <laughs> over here. The, yeah. Oh I, my I, God. I, well, yeah, that's more. I mean, yes, yes, definitely. But uh, that's more like this and I'm, Nausicaa are, are, um, are Miyazaki's like most heavily and explicitly communist things. And like. <laughs> Like that whole scene is just the glory of the working class in action. Him like <laughs> yeah. bursting his shirt off and everything is just like a celebration <laughs> of of workers. 
more than anything. Yeah, could, but it's also but like, it's also mad gay. Like I'm not gonna. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, let me tell you, it was not the first time I'd seen two muscle daddies flexing at each other in the street. So, um, but uh, yeah, Dola is one of the most influential characters in probably all of anime. Period. Um, Golly, she's such a great character. Yeah. Just so endearing. I. Like, I yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was, like, a big inspiration for Mom from Futurama, although mm-hmm. Mom is, like, more mean. But, like, if you look at uh, the Bond Pirates in um, in Mega Man Legends, uh, like, basically any JRPG that came out after Laputa, which is, I think, every JRPG, um, except maybe Dragon Quest, but... Yeah, every JRPG that came out after Laputa was somewhat influenced. Um, Mm. There's so many different villain groups who are based in part or whole on the Dola Pirates specifically. Like, um, along with Timebokan, they're a big influence on Team Rocket. Uh, Oh, man, I didn't even think about them on Team Rocket. Yeah, that's true. But that's definitely something. Mm. Um, Like... Like if if there's if there's a villain group like or like a secondary villain group in a story, especially a steampunk or fantasy story, who like mm-hmm. help the heroes part way through, there is basically a one hundred percent chance that 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 whoever wrote that watched Laputa and was like, I want to make something kind of like that. Um, well, yeah. we also talked about the uh, the Futurama mom connection when we covered Cowboy Bebop and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, the violent environmental terrorists led by a mom-like figure, which had, Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I was trying to remember when you started bringing that up. So, and, and it's like, there's this, you know, mom figure at the center and then her, her lackeys that are, or are treated similarly to sons are kind Mm -hmm. of hapless buffoons. And she is mean to them. And I, I would say mom from Futurama probably pulls from that cowboy bebop episode. If anything, but I bet that Cowboy Bebop episode is pulling from this. Oh, yeah, definitely. this is just like definitely. seven degrees of separation from yeah. everything is just Castle in the Sky. Yeah, um, Be- yeah, Bebop would definitely have been more influential on on an American piece of animation, especially like early two thousands. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. And those are definitely like a riff on. Um, on the Dola Pirates, you know, like yeah. an inversion. Like, what if, what if the mom of the Dola Pirates was mean instead yeah. of instead of taking care of her boys? Um, yeah, right. and so anime and like, is really just castles in the sky all the way down. It. <laughs> You would be surprised how true that is if you really <laughs> dig into it. Um, you know, like we, we don't. We don't spend as much time as you, uh, like digging into the the ultra minutia. Um, yeah, you've things, noticed we're idiots. I, I've, yeah. I, <laughs> you, I, I, you guys seem pretty smart. I don't, but I mean, Very it's, political. it's Thank so you. <laughs> it's so ubiquitous, it, like that you don't even think about it after a while. Like oh, yeah, most man. of the things that that Laputa did. Like airships, for instance, the way that Laputa handled airships, like Nausicaa did that previously, obviously, but, mm-hmm. but, um, 
Uh, Laputa is is sort of where the the airship fixation and like the Sky Island fixation really took off. And like, if you've played Chrono Trigger, then you can see the influence of Laputa on. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the ancient civilization in, in Chrono Trigger right now, but God, it's it's been um, childhoods away f- since I've played Chrono Trigger. But you know, C- Corridors of Time plays when the the. But there's that Xenoblade Chronicles where they're on floating animals. Yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles where they're on um, floating animals is is definitely Castle in the Sky adjacent. Xenoblade Chronicles yeah. two, um, the dynamic between Rex and Pyra is like based on the template created with Paz and Sheeta. Like any time oh, a boy finds a girl with a magic glowing crystal, which is a lot of the time in anime. Really, like, you know, any any time that happens, there was probably a bit of a Laputa influence there, or a, mm. the influence from something that Laputa influenced. Um, but yeah, Sky Islands sort of like sprung up from how Laputa uh, was conceived. Like, obviously, that's not the first time that's appeared in fiction, but like, right. you see a dramatic rise in that appearing in JRPGs and anime after that time, like. Every fantasy anime um, owes a little bit to this. Like, you know, even if you look at, like, ReZero, chance encounter with a mysterious girl who has an important rock that is the focal point of the first storyline. Which we we just both watched the first episode of ReZero last week, so that's real timely of you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you're, you're in for a good journey there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I said that it was I said that it was aggressively um, a- aggressively of that genre. I was like, oh man, this this genre is the most of its genre that it could be <laughs> for a while. Um, I oh man, you're until it gets into the depression and the <laughs> oh yeah, it's it that show is oh, it's so good, so good. Yeah. Anyway, but we're talking getting about getting back to. Th- Anyway, back to this movie. We have our other introduction of another main character. Her name is Sheeta. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheeta is a young girl who is trapped inside of this airship that is being attacked by Big Mom pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, the Big Mom pirates are going to um, they are going to what seems like um, provide an opening for her to escape and uh, from some other seemingly captors um, while trying to take her captive. And uh, also, I had no idea that uh, what was about to happen in this movie. And I was like, okay, so they're going to land the airship and she's just going to get off. But instead, she just <laughs> yeets her way right off the airship. Um, and she's just going to like fall into a, a mine. And uh, as, as she's falling into the mine, she's going to use... Um, I, I, I could only explain to anybody who's seen some Ghibli, but hasn't seen all Ghibli. The movie that you've probably seen, if you've seen Studio Ghibli, is either, um, uh, either uh, Spirited Away or Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. And Howl's Moving Castle is probably the closest to, like, this is the, this is the first time that he uses the magic template of whatever magic is being used explodes into, like, a beautiful, like, um, uh, like firework star starburst thing, um, and that is going to happen with her as well. It slows 
gravity down, I guess, so that she's floating. Um, and a young boy, um, who's our third main character, Pazu or Ponzu. I don't, Pazu. they pronounced it Pazu. Um, yeah. he, or, he or is Patsu. going to catch her. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say is cause I felt like the American version was saying Patsu a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look at it on paper, I'm like, there's no T in there. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've well established that you're going to say what you're going to say, and we're just going to move forward with it. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's a round pasu. Yeah. Um, when he catches her at the end of this thing, and gravity just, like, is turned on again, um, I was I was really expecting them to both go over the edge. I was, like, yeah. legitimately nervous. And it also, like, really plays up the fact that Miyazaki has a way with gravity. Like, the... the, the the way that he does like human movement is really convincing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Did he's he obsessed use, like, with nature and the natural world. And yeah. he wants to show like how people move through it. Do you uh, know anything about him using models? Did he use like, uh, like live action people, like people's movements through things like kind of how people use mocap suits and stuff now? I don't think that there's much rotoscoping in Miyazaki's movies. I might be wrong about that. I'm not like a Miyazaki scholar, uh, mm-hmm. but he he's mostly just very observant, and he he mm. he's, he is is a person who like has spent a lot of time studying people and nature and all of that, and that's why he's such a great animator. Is he he just pays attention to the little details and that moment that you're talking about where all of a sudden her anti gravity field turns off and suddenly Pazu's going from holding a, a, a feather light um, magical object to a hundred pound human girl um, <laughs> and 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 just drops that like like that's such a great example of animation for so many different reasons like you you see the frame where the weight kicks in. Um, like the strain on his face is so good. And then, Oh man. Also, he's He's so beautiful. He's like doing like, or he's trying to adjust himself into like a proper deadlift position to, to pick her back up. (laughs) So like from that, you can tell that he does a fair amount of heavy lifting for his job as, you know, as like a, a mind boy. Um, it's not, (laughs) He was the original. He was like Minecraft before Minecraft. Uh, Minecraft before child labor laws. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But, but, which, you know, I mean, a lot of people. Depending on where you are in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Minecraft is really just getting our children of America used to doing it again so we could just reintroduce child labor again. Mm -hmm. Minecraft and uh, Animal Crossing. These are all just chore simulators. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that moment's just his, it's his first sign of what a hardy, uh, working type of guy he is. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, man, I, I like Miyazaki's animation throughout this especially is just on point. Um, in his last movies, he kind of had to compromise a little in places just because, you know, he, he, uh, Nausicaa was a startup thing and, and uh, Lupin was, a, you know, a licensed thing. But, like, $3 million doesn't sound like much for a movie. But if you put that in the context of that's the budget for an entire anime season now, 
Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. And like, this was the 80s, too, so it went a little bit further. Oh, this mm-hmm. is 80s money yeah. where you could buy you could buy a million cocaines. Yeah, cocaine. Three, All the cocaine. <laughs> 15 million is a heck of a lot of money, too. Like, I mean, by, like, you know, I, by Western movie standards and even by, like, Japanese live-action movie standards, it's not a lot of money, but, like, anime studios are incredibly efficient and, like, they really were able like this is the first movie i think where miyazaki was truly like fully unlocked all the way through um Mm -hmm. and just there's a lot of animation flexes throughout it like like the machinery in this movie from the trains to the cars to the airships obviously is also like detailed and like believable and then you know you got those pigeons that eat out of oh, Kazu's yeah. hand. Those are so yeah. well animated. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Crazy like, so good taking, pigeons. Yeah. So taking it back to the movie, we're about to be at the pigeon moment. Mm. So after, after he takes, um, how, after he takes Sheeta, uh, who's still passed out, he takes her to his house, um, and, uh, wakes her up by going to the roof, releasing his pigeons or doves or whatever they are. He loves these um, birds and, so much. He is yeah, full on. And he's Iron just Man like, Mm-hmm. He's gonna full on be a like straight up bugle boy as well, and oh, just yeah. like trumpet everybody awake for the entire, um, the the entirety of this mining community. I'm assuming they wake up every morning to this this kid just like go into town on this trumpet, <laughs> um, and then afterwards uh, we're gonna be reintroduced to my favorite thing from Ghibli films, which is oh my god, he draws the most delicious looking food. In all of anime. Oh my god. I want an egg for Miyazaki's world. Um, yeah, the crispy edges on that egg, the like Oh god. The like sloppiness <laughs> of the yolk. Everything, Ugh. man. Everything. The toast looks it's good. Dinner too. Time. <laughs> oh man. There's there's something about like there's something about Miyazaki is gonna draw like the most beautiful food. Um as well as just random way too much food that people are just going to be like super scarfing down the 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 point where they're just like a slab of meat that you're going to keep in your house and just rip off big giant slabs of it to just eat <laughs> like <laughs> it's like a it's like lamb at a at like a mediterranean place it's the same same concept. yeah it's exactly what it is it's uh, just or- that 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 mystery meat that's in a big giant spinning hot cone from like <laughs> From Parks and Recreation. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. he's just like, he's like, I don't know what that is, but I want to eat all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Shita is going to wake up. She's going to see a picture of Laputa and she's going to be really into that. And then Pazu's like, well, my dad saw it, but then everybody thought he was crazy and now he's dead. So there, here we are. Yeah. Um, then big mom pirates show up again and they're going to go on an epic, epic chase. And the chase is going to have a, a flex off. Um, the chase is also going to have random gigantic airships that are chasing them. Um, it's also going to have a train chase, man. This, this chase has everything. It's like, it's, it's really everything you want from a chase scene, man. The, the animation of their car just tearing up the railroad tracks as it goes. Oh yeah. That's so so great too. Yeah. It's just, it's stunning. Um, also, I love that the big mom pirates are in like their, they're in their like white, 
uh, nicery. Mm -hmm. They're like they're in like top hats and 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 they're 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 like chasing people around dressed like this. And all I could think was just like, do they just not go out very often? They're just like normal people are dressed like this in mining towns. Which is respectable. Dola's dressing her boys up in her Sunday best. You will yeah. note that the the her employees do not dress nearly as nicely as her boys do. No, oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that. So there's the guys. Yeah, there there's that one guy. Like all the guys in top hats are her sons, and then all the guys in just like oh. more bare uniforms. I think are her employees. Because um, yeah, there's that guy who's like, hey, go tell your mother that uh she's in disguise it's like oh she's in disguise go tell my mother and he's just like uh <laughs> i have to work for these idiots and he, he goes up <laughs> I, I there's to, definitely uh, some nepotism going on on that on that ship oh yeah i think uh yeah. what you were talking about earlier with the quality of animation too i think for me having seen just a handful of Ghibli movies and most of them kind of spirited away, My Neighbor Totoro, those kind of like slow, thoughtful movies. This one is much more of an action adventure. And mm. I think him him sort of being unleashed as an animator plays to this movie's strengths. And you, you you've already seen it at this point in the movie, but this chase really puts it on display because this is a full-on like completely animated action sequence and it will be one of many and it's just gorgeous the whole time yeah it's it's going to culminate into uh the the chase sequence culminates into um them just yeeting off the edge of the uh the the um the train which is falling apart and using um Shida's magical floating powers again to not die at the end of a gigantic mine shaft um, and at the bottom of the mine shaft, um, they are going to meet up with a, a kindly old man who lives in the mines. And I was just like, I was like, is this, is this guy a troll? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just nice. there. This he's is his vibe. There. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, he, you know, he, he's, he's living where he can live. Um, a lot of abandoned mines around there. Free real estate, <laughs> as they say. Uh, <laughs> It's free real estate. <laughs> I really, I, I really like just right after the fall. God, there's so many details in this, but I, I really like Miyazaki's got a super practical approach to his magic, right? So like when when they're done falling, the the light of the stone starts going out, and like Pazu has to like rush to light his lantern before. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know that. that you know that's like a small thing, not super plot important, but that's just you got to appreciate the all the little details that go into Man. making every moment of this fun and exciting. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's I think that that's definitely a, a thing, yeah. like a a hallmark of Miyazaki films is the devils in the details. Like he he just he just mm -hmm. really finds the teeny tiny things that are going to draw you into the world. Um, like when he is when he is showing off this the old man that they're gonna meet. Um, he's gonna he's gonna give us a, a quite a bit of really important plot exposition. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is that humans used to. To mine something um, in the ground. I cannot remember for the life of me what they call it. They call it um, Ethereum in the dub. Mm -hmm. Ethereum, yeah. So, something else in this up. 
Yeah. So Ethereum is what they they talked about, and there's there's a lot of um, if you haven't noticed inside of this world there when they when they zoom out um, to the world around the, it, the ground is potmarked in a way that seems like cannon fodder must have hit the ground like um, at least mortar shell shells at some point have slammed into the face of the earth um but it has been so long that they have grown back over like a like where you would have seen an old battle monument or something like that where um uh, you know from like world war ii they have that where there's just big giant pop-marked fields mm -hmm. um that have grown in with water and they have these random little pools of water inside of it that mm -hmm. is inside of this world well um we are told that uh humans in the past were so much more advanced and and they used to mine something called Ethereum, which gave them super, super powerful powers, but that has been lost to time. This is not something that people know how to mine anymore. It, as as referenced from earlier when they were talking about what they could find in the ground, and it apparently Ethereum is super easy to see because when they're down there and they turn off the lights, you can see Ethereum glowing in the rocks around them, but... Um, these people earlier are just mining coal and trying to look for silver and gold. So they're looking for more, you know, mm -hmm. a, a much simpler thing that they can mine out yeah, of the ground. Like, yeah, they like they go down into the mines and they're like, "Did you find anything?" And they go, "We ain't found shit." You know, <laughs> they they can't process the magic floaty rocks. Yeah, that's right, and. And uh, apparently he can't either. So like when he breaks off a piece of the rock, he holds it up for a second and it shines and then the shine is gone. So apparently Ethereum is just like a, it's like an energy source that is inside of most of the ground inside of this area. But you have to have some sort of special mechanism in order to get the Ethereum trapped in whatever you're going to hold up in. Um, I'm assuming it's some of these crystals. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's it's really it's it's a really cool way to do exposition too. It's also really cool that he um, the way that he reacts to her um, showing him the stone of Ethereum that she carries around her neck um, and his reverence for it. He's just like in awe of it. And there's almost this moment where he like smeagles a little bit where he like <laughs> reaches out to grab it. And then he's like, no, I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really a, kind of a, how oh, man, just the details inside of this movie are astounding. Yeah, and yeah. that's one of those, that's a really great moment of world building, I think, because it's it's like just enough that you like understand how a castle got up there and a bunch of other stuff, but a lot of it's left in the implications through how he acts and and through how the we see the technology work. Yeah. I, I like Miyazaki because he just leaves you to figure stuff out for yourself at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I've said so many times, I'm like, if you're going to give me a really good world building, you should throw your audience into it and not dumb down it to them where you talk no jutsu it to death. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't you don't have to do that to people. Like, assume that your audience is smart enough to um, pick up on the context clues, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise, otherwise, it's just going to be like, you remember the Great War? Everybody remembers the Great War. And one yeah. person is like, I don't remember the Great War. And they're like, well, let me talk for an hour and a half about the Great War. I'm yeah. like, shut you up, could argue. I think a lot of creators want to show their work, as it were, 
And so mm. they get really excited about all this work that they've done to flesh out the world behind you. And then they realize that you're not going to figure it out if they don't tell it to you. Mm-hmm. And so they do that. And I think with Miyazaki, you could argue, one, that maybe he's a creator that is not prone to that kind of thinking uh, or has you know trained himself out of it. Uh, but you could also argue that he's a creator who is showing you his work because his work is the animation. And the world is just a means to an end for the animation. And yeah. so he doesn't he doesn't necessarily, you know, this is obviously full conjecture, but he doesn't necessarily need to flesh out the world because what he wants to flesh out is what the world can do for him in animation. And that's what he really cares about. And the world is just kind of the vehicle on top of that or on which he places that. And so often, he, often literally the vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're dope vehicles. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're about to be introduced to another vehicle inside of this world, um, which is the glider slash airship. Um, as they come up out of the ground, they are going to be immediately caught um, by a- another character um, who is our our last super important main character. Um, he is going to be, let's just, uh, I'm just, I know his name is Muska, um, but he's just Mark Hamill. Mm, like yeah. Mark Hamill is going to capture uh, Sheeta. <laughs> Mustache twirling Mark Hamill has come along. Oh, man. To, uh, you know, subvert the power of the military industrial complex for his own nefarious ends. We also find out that Sheeta has a super long, complicated name that basically means that she is Laputian royalty. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, who knows? That might be important later. Who... Yeah, I'm, I refuse to say it. It would be weird <laughs> if it wasn't important later. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, if they're those, like, one of here's those, my really long those... name. Anyway, let's never talk about this again. Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother taught me spells, but don't ask me about the spells. Yeah, um, that was a little a little much on the Chekhov's gun scale where she was like, there was one spell that she told me I must never use. And I was like, okay, well, I'll see you in 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you later, spell. Anyways, um, so uh, after she is captured, she is taken to a gigantic castle. Um, and did anybody else get some, like, uh, Attack on Titan vibes to this castle? Where I was just huh. like, I was like, no, oh, there's too many walls around this. There's a Titan in one of those walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, oh, man. I like, I'm trying to think what the inspirations. It, it, it's like very much a Doom Fortress. Mm. Mm. You know, it, it, yeah. it just, it's real big and real intimidating. Um, you know, after, after the sort of like home, homey vibe of the mining town. Um, it's, uh, it's a big shit. I'm just, I'm trying to think. Whenever I see it, there's like a. It like reminds me of something else, but I can't remember it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, um, well, Patsu is going to be trapped inside of one of these chambers. Um, meanwhile, uh, Shida is going to be uh, shown that uh, not only are there robots in this world, but one of these robots is kept down inside of the basement and there's no way this robot is going to come alive and destroy everything. (laughs) Um, If we've learned one thing from Miyazaki films, if he's showing you a robot, eventually that robot is going to destroy. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, Pazu's going to get out of the castle before that, though, because Muska... 
So there's so the thing is the necklace that Sheeta has has the ability to point the way to Laputa, and that's what Muska yeah. really wants. And also the military does too, because there's supposed to be a, a lot of treasure there, and I guess treasure. the military needs more funding. So they're gonna go there, and Muska is like, "Show me, show me the beast," and Sheeta's like, "I will show you the beast if Pazu gets let go," and. uh uh, because otherwise he's gonna hurt Pazu. So yeah, that was yeah didn't do a great job there. But you get you follow. Well, me. she has to. She has to. Uh, I can't remember. It's Call of the Wild or where the red fern grows. That she has to. She has to kill kick Pazu, and she's just like, I don't love you anymore. Yeah. Leave. Air bud. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> and then um, Mark Hamill is gonna be like, here's your change, whore. <laughs> Throws him <laughs> on the ground, and he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> and runs out. Um, there's even going to be a part where he like trips and the change falls out of his hands, and he's just like he goes to throw it away, and then he's just like, "But I need money." <laughs> yeah, I um, thought I thought when he dropped the change, he was going to leave it there, and that was going to be like he's just so distraught that he was holding the money because they put it in his hand and not because he wanted it. And then he picked it up and I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then it's, they just steal it from him. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he's going to he's gonna get back to his home. Inside of his home is the Big Mom Pirates. Mm. Um, they, are, uh, they are eating oh so much of his food. And then they immediately rob him. And he's like, I don't care about that money as long as you can take me with you so that we can go save Sheeta. Because she does the most important thing to me. Um, so help me to help you to help me to help you. Mm. And they're like, okay, but also begrudging, but also okay. <laughs> yeah, they accept this a little quickly, but I'm, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah, so quickly that you're just like, this is how these other people got on our ship. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, no, like Dola is clearly like a very go with the flow type of pirate um yeah but also like i I don't know i i think i think it's just that they respect pazu's like the way he the way he sort of lives by his own values and stuff like that yeah um well he's very passionate yeah he's Uh, and he's he's they're kindred spirits clearly competent yeah sorry go ahead I, but like I, I think you know I, I do think that he's kind of like a kindred spirit to the uh, Dola pirates in that like oh yeah you know uh, he's got that drive to prove everybody who laughed at his dad wrong and you know he he doesn't really want to live by anybody's rules but his own you know um, yeah like the I mean the parallels are much clearer between. Dola and Sheeta, they've literally got the same hairstyle, but like, <laughs> um, just as you get older, the more that it stands on end and Pippi Longstockings its way out. Yeah, they're just they're they're the type of people who just say yes to adventure. Um, mm. and you know the the Dola pirates know that you need a, a fair amount of money to keep adventuring long term. I think is is probably why they're doing the whole piracy thing. Um, yeah, well, plus the discovery of treasure is a really a, probably like a rewarding experience on its own. Yeah, so that's yeah. a the, the solid. Like, I mean, that's part of adventuring is the treasure. Yeah. Um, and if you gotta, I, I would say, 
one of the things I love about this too is that up until this point, Dola and her pirates are sort of gently menacing. You mentioned Team Rocket earlier. Mm-hmm. In, it's kind of similar to that, where Team Rocket, outside of the manga, are are threatening, but not in like a serious way. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of, you know, you, then you get Jesse and James and they're sort of buffoons. And it's sort of like, this is kind of similar where the Dola pirates feel like if you're not careful, things could go really bad, but they are also kind of cute and charming. And in this moment, once they accept Pazu into their ranks, they very quickly shift from this kind of like grenade that you're not sure if it's active anymore to being this like warm family and like mm-hmm. very quickly you're like dola is uh, like mom forever mm-hmm. and these are just like my like lost boys family and it's just it's so charming and endearing and they immediately shift into this once they accept him into into their ranks yeah, yeah. Her, her, i i really like her relationship with her husband too mm-hmm. you know he he's just such a delightfully weird and eccentric little character um yeah that's that's another thing that i really like about miyazaki's stuff in general is he's like not afraid to to write ladies who who wear all the pants in the family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and she definitely wears the pants and makes other people wear her pants (laughs) that's really interesting Um, too because that's not hugely common in anime like uh, strong females aren't super rare but like I don't know. It doesn't feel like a thing that I really associate with anime so much as with certain anime, but like it mm. really is a Miyazaki trope, like stronger, strong women that drive the plot themselves mm-hmm. shows up over and over again in his movies. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, it like most of the decision the making beginning. in Nausicaa. Yeah. Is, is done oh, yeah. by um, the, the nice princess and the fascist princess. They they do like 99% of the plot moving in that story. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, man, uh, uh, we've talked about this a couple of times. But, I mean, if you're, if you're watching at home the Miyazaki The Home Game, Castle in the Sky is a really, really good uh, follow-up. Mm. But you should definitely watch Nausicaa. Like, Nausicaa is, is definitely a freshman work, but it is astoundingly good. Um, it is it is a real real good film, and it has some of the most enriched world building that I've ever seen inside of like a like a neo futuristic um, post apocalyptic world. It it does a really interesting take on like what happens when the human race completely ruins the planet beyond repair, mm-hmm. uh, except for the fact that nature's just going to be like, nah, I'll fix it eventually. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, it's one yeah, of those climate change like things a plague where you're just or something like, to kill off the problem. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what it is. To, to the point where you, the the trees are processing. Um, um, I think they're processing radioactive material and they're they're emitting a, like a cloud of spores and inside of the spores uh, are like half-life radioactive material that's being processed that's dangerous for humans but the world is like no we're going to eventually be okay. Yeah. yeah so um, it's basically the so happening. And and Hello? yeah, no, there's <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. Please stop. Never say that again. Never say that again. Um, 
the trees are killing the people. Okay, Damn, Rocky Mark, no. shut up. <laughs> Na- yeah, Nausicaa is... You should read Nausicaa. If you haven't read the manga that turned into that movie, you should definitely oh. read it because it's... I think it's the only manga that Miyazaki's ever done. Um, it's like insanely detailed in its artwork uh he's not the best at paneling like there's there's it it doesn't have the best flow all the time but like if you like that world building and you want to dive deep into that world um definitely worth reading in addition to watching it's kind so you know we're talking about how laputa is more of a action adventure movie um, Nausicaa is more, uh, I would say epic fantasy. Like that is the template that he's, he's working from. Um, and yeah. the difference between the movie and manga is kind of like the difference between watching Peter Jackson's, the Lord of the Rings, which is beautiful and packed with like an insane amount of world building detail that just goes by in an instant as you watch the movie. Cause like everything is so meticulously constructed and actually reading the Lord of the Rings where you like really dive into the different cultures uh, surrounding the toxic jungle and a little more of the ecology of it. It's definitely worth reading if you like the world building in that. But we're getting off yeah. topic again. Sorry. Oh, oh God. Well, anyways. Um, Not that we so, ever do that on um, our show. <laughs> so Sheeta ends up using one of these spells that she had been told as a child um, this one is specifically when you're in trouble. Um, she uses this spell. It uh, activates the robot. Uh, you remember the robot. Um, it is going to oh so easily destroy the entire castle. Um, and then it's going to go help Sheeta sort of escape, but also not completely help her escape. And she's afraid of it. And then she's just like, oh, actually, you're here to save me. Um, and meanwhile, Big Mom Pirates and... Uh, and Patsu are going to um, come and save her on the Thopters right before the massive airship that is taking off to chase after Lapita um, and is following after the amulet signal that's now pointing at Lapita after the spell has been used. Um, they uh, they are going to shoot like I guess it's just like a giant cannon to blow up this robot, um, and that. That sequence where the robot gets hit and there's just like this reaction of it, like a slow explosion that's about to happen is just like, it's, it's really freaky, but also really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he does explosions in a really interesting way where it's just like a, a buildup of heat and it like bubbles and melts um, the metal that's underneath it in a really cool way. Yeah. He, he's, he sort of like slows down the build of pressure and release. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Just the, Oh man. Walls bursting in Miyazaki movies is one of those like subtle or, or like things bursting, you know, just, just the Miyazaki's explosions are great. You're right. Um, yeah. The, the other animation in that's that whole sequence that I want to touch on is the, the shot of the thopters, flying across the water and the ground. Oh, yeah. Um, Because, like, you got to remember, this was made in 1986. They didn't have CGI, really, to help with that at all. So, like, every frame 
of the ground underneath them in that is like drawn by hand and it's just oh man the detail too in when he when you he slows the um so so if you don't if you don't know about like gliders uh a lot of times inside of his world he puts a crazy amount of detail into the way that they fly because if you didn't know about miyazaki one of his uh obsessions since childhood he's talked about why they're in so many of his movies and why um one of his i, I guess it's like one of his really late films um is an homage to how much he loves aircraft Mm -hmm. um and the thopters the way that they fly um is they will they will fly and then they will glide so you'll see these little wings going crazy kind of like bug wings and then one set of the bug wings will go into the mode where it's gliding so that it can change direction to change course and it's really amazing. Like it, if you were if you were a worse animator, you would be like, "Oh, is he being lazy with the animation?" But because the animation is so high quality, you're just like, "This is done for a reason." Mm-hmm. And when you start to notice when and why he's doing it from like the arrow mechanics, it's just like, "Oh my god!" the the thought process that he put into just flying around on these random, you know, you know, spaceship things. Is just like I um, it's just amazing. Yeah, the way the like insect wings will like flutter and stay for a second. Yeah, oh, man, it's it's Ugh. like oh, um, there's between this and Nausicaa, there's so many different kinds of awesome flying machines. He yeah yeah he he's he's long been obsessed with with animating flight and. that's one of the areas where I think in every single one of his movies, he tries to top himself Mm -hmm. um, is to just create an even crazier flying sequence than the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, castle in the sky is especially heavy on that because there's, I mean, there's a castle up in the sky. You got to get there somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And that is where Um, the story goes next. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they're chasing. So the the pirates are going to chase after the big giant flying ship. Um, I think that this is one of the things that we're going to jump to the next plot point, which is them getting to Lapita and flying through uh, the big giant cloud that's surrounding Lapita. Um, but I think that this is going to be one of those moments that you should you should spend some quality time paying attention to this part of the movie. If 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 more so, you joined in so that you could see really cool action sequences inside of it um this is a fantastic uh character Mm -hmm. building moment inside of the movie where you just have all of the the pirates becoming friends and also they uh they kind of fall in love in in a in a way that really reminds me of like wendy and the lost boys Mm -hmm. Where like the the big mom pirates are gonna like fall in love with Sheeta, um, but not in a super creepy way. They're just gonna want to help her and be around her. Um, but everybody understands kind of that you know she's in love with Patsu, um, and they're just gonna be like, I, I just want to be friends with her. I just want to spend time with her. And they're all like fawning over themselves. There's that great moment where one of the pirates is gonna be like, I'm coming to help. I'm the first one to think of this. And then you like cut over to this guy in the corner he's just like i've been here for hours i've been cutting potatoes (laughs) yeah i mean it's almost like she's the first female they've ever interacted with who's not their mom yeah (laughs) 
a little bit. We've yeah. just been trapped in this ship with a bunch of boys and my mom. <laughs> um, the, this this sequence also, this is when you get to really know the, the Dola pirate ship, which looks like a bird, but like the bird head is Dola's private quarters that's reached by this should be precarious walkway and there's like all these ins and outs of this ship that doesn't look that big but all the ins and outs make sense Mm. and it's just when i was watching it i had the biggest stupid grin on my face and it just it made me think of like when you're a kid and you see or read something that just sets your imagination on fire of like what would it be like to be here what would it be like to explore this space or to live in this in this zone and it, it just it had it has this quality of like childlike wonder and joy to it that I, I think probably is prevalent in a lot of Miyazaki, but I I probably haven't felt more uh, more specifically than in this sort of sequence of getting to know each other on this airship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I would say the one that reminds me of the most from Miyazaki films is um, uh, man, Howl's Moving Castle really has a lot of these moments. Where you're just like, um, you're inside of the castle and you're getting to know the corridors of the castle itself. Um, and these just like winding roads that are inside of it that just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And like that, the, the ship like starts small and feels gigantic by that time at the end of mm-hmm. it. Um, and it also has just a really like the, the thing that they're going to take off from is this crow's nest and the crow's nest extends and turns into a kite um and so so that uh, while you're on the airship you can go above the clouds and see even further if you're chasing after something or you're trying to find something in the distance and that little like that that uh detail is so cool um that that's they get that's another thing that's become like that's one tiny thing the detachable um uh crow's nest yeah, that has also become like a almost ubiquitous feature of airs airships in anime. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, there's this recent um, Netflix anime, which is based on a manga I really like. Uh, that since you guys like world building and steampunk, I think you'd probably enjoy called Drifting Dragons, uh, which is okay. about the crew of this airship that they're whalers, but for dragons. Oh gosh. Um okay. and and yeah, they've got a, a similar crow's nest. Like the the detachable kite crow's nest thing is just That's so cool. Yeah. I I I'm not 100% sure that this is where it started, but like it pops up a lot after this in anime. And it's Okay. Yeah. But Sorry, I didn't mean. I would be surprised if it didn't start here. Like, I, I would, I would be surprised. As you mentioned, there are so many things that are inspired from shows like this mm. or movies like this that I, I would be surprised that if he, you know, didn't, didn't start off a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, he really, so he I, really thinks through like just the mechanical details of everything, though. Like, yeah, it's astounding. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, gush gush fest over about Miyazaki for just a second, um, because um, we are about to, after a brief dogfight between the pirates and the military, um, the uh, the kite is going to become detached, 
and it is going to fly over through a bank of clouds and into what we find out is Lapita, um, this gigantic uh, floating castle in the sky. Um, and they land and just have wonder and amazement and the way that he does just gigantic um fantasy features is just astounding mm. like i know yeah. we just gushed about his like fl- airships and stuff but oh my god is this the most like beautiful falling crumbling necropolis thing it's just like oh man it's just astounding and um it feels like the it way has that a they history in- to it as well just from looking at it uh, yeah, you can so tell the depth. age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like all of all of the ruins have like fallen into disrepair and they're being overgrown. Um, there's even um, a, a whole bunch of different um, robots that we're going to see. Um, at one point, they're following a robot and they go up to this what looks like a giant tree that's growing around the um, the base of the giant floating um, uh, fortress. And uh, next to it, they see a robot and they were like, oh, and then they notice the robot has been completely overgrown to the point where the does not seem to be working anymore. And then as you pan along the side of the tree, you see all like a bunch more robots that have just become part of the tree. It's yeah. really astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like how like bits and pieces of it are are already crumbling away too and like being held in place by the roots of the tree mm-hmm. like the 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 nature that has retaken the island just becomes like intertwined with the old architecture to the point that they're inseparable and just mm-hmm. uh, man there there's so much brilliance in the design of this castle it's just yeah but anyways the military is going to show up and ruin everything um (laughs) because mark Mm. hamill has got to show up mark hamill is going to be like see i i need to find something secret inside of this castle um and uh and shida and patsu are just like oh no they're going to ruin everything and uh and they are um yeah. because it turns out that Mark Hamill's character um he is a secret uh of Laputanian I don't know what they would be called he he um, also has a really long name that's that's what you need to know mm-hmm. yeah um and so he uh he knows some of the ways around the ship from a little diary that he's carrying around um and he is going to know how to activate the weapons of the ship and start turning the ship back into a mechanized war machine um they it's there's a there's a lot that happens in these like next 10 minutes of the movie um but man oh man this this like chase sequence into the reactivation of the ship into firing out all of the different robots that are going to start flying around and destroying the the all all of the um the military people it's just like a it's just a flurry of amazing animation mm-hmm. yeah it turns out that lapita has the ability to be a floating murder fortress <laughs> it's full of all these robots that he's gonna sick on everybody like an i robot situation it has it shoots out big laser beams that are basically nuclear weapons 
It is very dangerous, and Muska, or sorry, Mark Hamill is going to use <laughs> <laughs> he's going to use Laputa presumably to uh, subjugate the entire world below with his superior firepower, and uh, our ch- Chirons are not going to like that. Um, Pazu, who earlier got shot in the fucking head. But uh, luckily, it was just a graze. It was just a little hurt. Yeah, <laughs> just he, a flesh yeah, wound. He's gonna, yeah. <laughs> he's gonna rescue Dola and her pirates from being captured by the military, uh, and then they're they're not able to go with him, but they are able to give him a giant gun to take with him, and then he is gonna do the most precarious. This dude's shoulders are so strong. He he's able to like climb across the bottom of Laputa to try and find a way into the, the inner sanctum area. And he's just like hanging on to nothing for like 15 straight minutes while things are shaking around and moving. And I, it made my fingers hurt just watching. I could not. Well, Patsu, Patsu is a couple of things. One of them, he is uh, slowly going to turn into a man that is so strong that he is going to be able to flex out of his clothes. Of course. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Um, but also, uh, Patsu, many times in this movie, is going to narrowly try to fit his face first through an opening. Um, he is going to be able to do this successfully and uh, save Sheeta. Um, and only to get cornered by Mark Hamill, who is going to be like, give me this stone or you're going to die. Give me the stone um, or I'll then... shoot her, her off until she's the protagonist of another movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, what they end up doing is that Patsu and Shida, um, they use the Deus Ex Machina super spell technique. Um, Technically and not what a Deus Ex Machina going to do. because they, they, yeah, it's a, they referenced it's just an it obvious earlier. Check-off it's a Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, but anyways, the Machina is going to be destroyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Let it go. By the spell. <laughs> <laughs> um, when the uh, the big giant diamond made of Ethereum is going to slam up through the ship um, when they use this spell, and the ship is going to start falling apart, um, and the only thing that they can do to get off in time is to find their glider and start to glide away. Um, the Big Mom Pirates have gotten off of the ship um, in a beautifully, beautiful, like, hurdy-gurdy sort of way. They're, they la- latch together the thopters, and they're just kind of floating, like, vicariously, like, not vicariously, but they're floating precariously through the air. Um, and uh, they also... eventually catch up with Sheeta and, and Patsu. Yeah, and there's Mark a Hamill bit of, got murdered, by the way. Right. There's a bit of serendipity that might be magic in this, in that uh, uh, Pazu and Shita say the destructive spell together while holding the little amulet, and that causes Laputa to collapse. But they get blown back by the force of the spell being unleashed into the roots of the tree. And Mark Hamill is not blown back into the roots of the tree, so the city, basically, Lapita crumbles into, it separates into two different pieces. And one piece is the tree and the sort of like upper level of nature. And the the crystal that was keeping the city floating goes into that tree and holds it up. And they, being in the roots, survive. And their kite is up on top of that. So they're able to get the kite and say, and, you know, rescue themselves. Whereas yeah. Mark and Hamill they, and all the military and all that stuff fall into the ocean because they were on the constructed parts below. And uh, yeah. 
it's cool. It's it's very metaphorical, but it's also like I saw that and I was like, did they get blown there by happenstance and narrative convenience? Or did they get blown there by a subtle magic of the world that understood that this spell was uttered by these people to save this place? Hmm. And hmm. I, it's cool because I think it's open for interpretation. Yeah. They are going to be picked up uh, by Dola and her pirates. Um, there's also an amazing moment where they try to chase after the the floating city, um, but they're not able to get there in time. Um, and they're going to be like too, too in need of latching together because of so many of them being on these thopters. Um, that when they catch them, they're going to be like, oh, we couldn't catch up with the, the floating castle and all of that treasure is gone. And they're just like, yeah, but, uh, we also did steal some treasure <laughs> and they're just going to like all pull out treasure from different it's areas. So, yeah, and I was like, that's a good pirate. That's a great pirate. That's <laughs> yeah. what pirates would do. <laughs> just like, well, we put um, as much as we could in our, in our, in our pants before, before we had to leave. You never know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> Always be prepared. So. Yeah. Um, and after uh, they they have this great connection moment, uh, there's like a everybody happily ever after, except for one thing, as Blake notes, um, the, the Lapita is going to float further and further and higher and higher. And Blake is worried about the Pokemon that are just going to be launched into space yeah. on this tree, there's apparently. There's Pokemon on that island. <laughs> I want to catch that little <laughs> oh. electric fox thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miyazaki's got so many great critters. He, yeah. Oh, man. This, so I said earlier, I had never seen this. I'd seen your video on it, and I think that was my only exposure to this. And God, this is so good. This is, uh, I haven't seen a ton of Miyazaki, but this has become my favorite Miyazaki. It's so good. I just loved yeah. this so much. Where would you rank this in your pantheon? For me, it's my favorite. It's like yeah. my absolute favorite Miyazaki movie. I don't necessarily think it's the best. You know, I think that um, if you're looking for his like most personal and expressive movie, that would probably be Porco Rosso. Um, mm. I I do love that. If one. you're you know if if you're looking for like his his deepest movies. Uh, you know, Howl's Moving Castle and uh, Princess Mononoke definitely outstrip this. Oh, Mononoke, man! I can't, I can't overstate that I love Mononoke before before almost any Miyazaki movie and possibly most animated movies. Mm -hmm. Also, has a Xerneas um, in it, so the Pokemon just continues. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, there are certain things like like that I think Nausicaa does better specifically Nausicaa's world building is way deeper while the world building in this is good. It's like simpler it's not in point. a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not the point, you know, but like for pure fun and adventure, I, this, this movie is hard to beat, right? Like it's, it's just two hours of like constantly escalating absolutely breathtakingly creative action um tied together with i i think a good story not not his best but like definitely his most fairy tale archetypally perfect story you mm. know that it it just like it hits all the beats all of the characters are like really 
big and memorable and and play like a key part in the story and and just add to it you know everyone from like the main characters to Jim Cummings as incompetent general and yeah. um you know the the people of the mining town um the the places we visit are so detailed like you know like there's like you know i think back to that mining town and just like the way s- there's that whole canyon cutting through it that has all of the different i don't know if they're mine buildings or places people live but all of the different like shacks just built into the side of the cliff running along it and the railroad yeah, running man. through it like you know there's there's a very very long and deep industrial history in that area that like you feel as they tear through it in a train and just completely destroy it in a matter of minutes. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a thrill ride. It is the most thrill ridey I would say of Miyazaki's yeah. movies. And for me, that combined with the fact that it literally just like sprinkled its DNA all over the entire fantasy genre. And especially every JRPG um, just you, when I watch it, I can't help thinking also of all of the things that I like that are clearly inspired by it. Um, and yeah, I, I just can't help but love every piece of it. Yeah. It, when you awesome. watch it from the, 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 the distance we are in time from it, um, every, there are so many different different anime universes now that just seem like love letters to this original creation. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's, I think this is a really, really great, um, that movie for people to watch, especially if you're like, Hey, I'm getting into, I'm getting into anime and I want something that I can, um, connect with, with people that might not be into anime. This is definitely going to sell you. If you are at least somebody that's like, I like Disney movies, but I don't know if I like anime, you're going to love this movie. (laughs) Um, so if, if you're one of those people and just needs to be sold on, on it to get into the anime universe, I think this is like, you know, a great way to primer somebody. The the only and it could be a really good gateway. Yeah, I, I do think it's a great gateway anime. The only caveat I have with offering up Miyazaki as like gateway anime is it it sets you up for a lot of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it's just because like start out with a creme de la creme and then uh, eventually make your way down to you know like Sword Art Online. The, I guess the trash. <laughs> I don't know. I think. I think that uh, there's a, some aspect of being an anime fan that is loving something so hard and then realizing that you've been set up for disappointment. <laughs> Just like returning to anime over and over again. You're like, I still love you no matter how many times you hurt me. I still love yeah. you no matter how many Why times. Why do I have to love you? I still love you no matter how many times I get really, really into a story and then they never adapt past the first three arcs of it. Yeah, or <laughs> however many times I fall in love with you and then find out you're done by Studio Gynax. Mm. Yeah, or, what, what's wrong know, with Gynax? Some, <laughs> uh, well, I just want to understand what happened, and you're not going to with those. I mean, that's 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 only true for some of their things. You can completely or whatever you can understand. Whatever everything. It's a trope. 
in Evangelion. It's on TV tropes. Gynax ending. <laughs> Ev- Evangelion <laughs> makes perfect sense. Don't. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. It makes it makes it makes perfect sense. So it we're gonna have only... to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, I mean oh. that Evangelion makes perfect sense. I I just people really overthink it. Like people like yeah, if you go into the world building and the and the the the, the like <laughs> um y- you know the all details of are it, a distraction. If yeah, <laughs> if you go into all of that, it gets a little muddy. But if you focus on it. As a very deeply depressed and distressed man's um, inner monologue in the form of giant robots beating up alien monsters, uh, then yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, like like he 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 um, is is dragged into to doing stuff that he both loves doing doing and feels empowered doing, but also is like it is draining and it scares him. Uh, he is taken advantage of by the, the people who profit from the things he's good at. And then um, he beats up a, a very, 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 very on-the-nose symbolic representation of his mother's vagina in a playground <laughs> um, that is in his just, mind, but I also just... in the mind of every single human being on Earth as their consciousness is meld into one. Makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. What's not clear about this? Uh, I just, I love, I love that, like, at the, at the end of this, like, hour and a half long, um, love letter that we're doing to Castle in the Sky, we get, um, what everybody really signed up for, which was you being like, all right, I'm going to tell you about the ending of Ava. Well, okay, here's the thing you have to understand. Here's the thing you have to understand is that these two things are inextricably interlinked because Neon Genesis Evangelion is the byproduct of the complete nervous breakdown that uh, Hideaki Anno had while directing um, Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water. And Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, um, was an anime uh, created by Studio Gainax based on a pitch from Hayao Miyazaki for a adventure, originally, I believe, movie, based heavily on the works of Jules Verne that happens to involve... Um, a girl with a magical pendant and an engineering boy going on an adventure in a flying ship. So I love that you just like you just like free associated your your like straight up straight up like six degrees of Miyazaki does. The, no, the the well, end, the end of Evangelion. It, there's a it's not even six degrees. It is a direct line to Laputa Castle in the sky. And oh my how God. the attempt to make that for television and then having to take a couple episodes off and then another guy took over and uh, they went to an island and it was really, really weird and uncomfortable. And then they went to Africa and it was still really, really weird and uncomfortable and also super duper racist. Um, but then they went back to Atlantis and like the end of that was fine. But the process of putting it together destroyed Hideaki Anno's mind for a couple of years. And then a few years later, he came back and made Neon Genesis Evangelion. And it's all... It's all Laputa. It's all Laputa. Just, Everything in the anime industry is Laputa. You made you made a video about that, didn't you? Um, I, I you're describing that, and I was like, I know this story. Why do I know this story? I've been thinking about making a video about it for a long time. The only problem with that, 
And the reason that I was like, I want to talk about a Ghibli movie on this podcast with you guys is because if you've ever tried to upload any amount of footage from any Miyazaki movie to YouTube, uh, it doesn't work. You cannot do it. Uh, they will well, not allow you well, to do I it. Mean, Big Daddy Disney has the American rights for Ghibli, so but they doesn't have very... it on their streaming service. It's, Thanks, Big Daddy. It's not even it's yeah, not even they... Big Daddy Disney though. It's it's Miyazaki and Ghibli are extremely protective of their copyright, and it sucks. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> when you have when you have the beauty that is Ghibli, mm-hmm. though, it it makes sort yeah. of sense. Yeah. Well, anyways, man, this has been a blast. Uh, it, it has been so much fun to cover this movie, and it is a one of my favorite um, what a, one of my favorite suggestions we've had for one of these crossovers. Um, before we leave, though, uh, if everybody wants to find you everywhere, where would they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at g zero f f t h e w. I'm going to change that handle soon, but for now, that's that's what I am, at Giafthu. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Mother's Basement. I believe, let me double check, let me double check that that is what it is. Um, I, I'll type <laughs> my own URL into... Uh, it used to be... Yes, it is that. It used to be Mother's Basement Reviews, which was really hard to remember and type in. But now it is just YouTube.com slash Mother's Basement sends you straight there. Um, that's that's all the social I have. I should have more social media platforms, honestly. No. Um, I, I mean, when you're in this business, you just get, you gotta you gotta be everywhere all the time. Um, <laughs> I know, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I. Boy, do I hate it too. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's my main place that you can find me. Um, and you can, I'm I'm just. Uh, oh yeah, and we also have our own podcast, uh, Yazzie and I. Uh, it's called the Basement Life Podcast. Uh, just search Basement Life on YouTube. Um, Going to be recording those one of those either tonight or very soon. It's been a couple weeks since we did our last one because we're both busy working on stuff. Yazzie has created her own VTuber, Ichigo Lemonade, the Rosy Maple Moth Garu. Um, so she's been working on that, and that's why we haven't done our podcast. Sorry, I'm plugging my podcast on yours just to. Yeah, yeah I don't care. Good. It's awesome. Um, we want we we we're we're absolutely like you know this hmm. is. This is just this is just us having awesome people on so that you know number one we can be like oh we get to have a really fun time watching a really fun movie with somebody but on the other hand we're just like um, it's so Blake can nerd out about something that he has been watching forever. <laughs> wow. I mean both of those things are very fun and and it it yeah. you know I I love talking about this movie I could. T- in case you couldn't tell, I could talk about it forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, come on and, and talk about it in the place where uh, Papa Miyazaki won't send his goon squad to <laughs> immediately <laughs> <laughs> remove it from there's existence. A, there's a... There's gonna be there's gonna be somebody at your door that's knocking very loudly that sounds either like Mark Hamill or like Pete from Disney, <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna go out and just be like, "Hello." <laughs> uh, 
Uh, good oh, thing I so don't. Great. Have Thank you so much for. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, good thing I don't have any magic crystals around here, to my knowledge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with us. I know uh, this was very difficult for me because I was very excited, and uh, I hope I sounded like a person. And I'm really happy that you did this. Uh, it was it was fun to meet you guys and do this. I like I I, I really like you know um, collaborating with smaller creators who are who, who are like building their own thing. You know, like yeah, I. I it takes a lot of passion to to do what you guys are doing and like build your own thing from scratch like this. Um, so it was nice meeting you and I'm glad I could contribute to it in a small way. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was, it was super fun talking to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. Much. Blake and Spencer get jumped is made by forever summer productions and presented as part of the geekly grind podcast network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash getjumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Greetings, anime fans. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the editor-in-chief for The Geekly Grind, a place where geeks can go to escape their weekly grind. We're coming up on our fifth year of operation, and to celebrate, we searched high and low for some of the coolest podcasts out there in order to create a new geek-centric podcast network. And what we found were three awesome shows that are sure to be a great addition to any geek's media menu. Of course, there's Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, which is this wonderful show, which features an additional episode weekly now to cover new anime and manga from our friends at Viz and Funimation. You can also dive into the world of comics with comic book keepers, where Chris and Lance chew the fat about their favorite heroes, villains, and comic series, as well as the impact that comics can have on our lives. Finally, if you're seeking a fantastical and fun retreat, Knights of the Rolled Table is an engaging and family-friendly D&D adventure starring talented improv actors. With three fantastic podcasts on the books and more on the horizon, make sure to check out the Geekly Grind podcast network as well as our regular content at www.thegeeklygrind.com. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we are watching episodes... No, 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 no. We need to take a week off for the Christmas holidays. So happy holidays to everybody out there. Um, if you celebrate Christmas or if you don't, but uh, if you want some goodness still, you're going to be getting some old episodes, one of our favorite crossovers ever, and also a uh, special weekly jump that is an old weekly jump. Ooh. So uh, get excited. So you, now you've got your something old, and all, all you need are borrowed, blue, and whatever the third, or fourth thing is. It's the holidays, Blake. We're not getting married. You don't know. I'm Jeff Thu, professional shitbag, signing out from my mother's basement.